ADT professionally installs Google Nest products, helping to make your home safe and smart. You can check in on your home and manage your security system from virtually anywhere. And with Nest Cams and Nest Doorbell, you get intelligent alerts on what matters most. Plus, when every second counts, you can trust ADT's 24-7 professional monitoring. When the most trusted name in home security adds the intelligence of Google, you've got a home with no worries. Go to ADT.com today or call 1-800-ADT-ASAP. Let's get done for eSports! Hello and welcome to Nerf This, the esports show whose cast is only slightly more talented than the group that is casting Tespa. I'm your host, Brian Huff, and I'm joined, as I always am, by Seven. Hello, sir. <laughs> Such a dick move right off the bat. Right off the bat, man. Ah, well, you hijacked the Twitter to promote it, so I figured that that made it open season to uh, make a dig. I did, I did. Uh, trying to give a, a, little more, a little more love. Uh, but yeah, I was. Um, it, we talked a little bit about it last week, ish, right? We said we had an announcement, but didn't really couldn't announce it. But I got picked up by Blizzard to cast a Hearthstone Tespa event. They had that, uh, so you think you can cast, and evidently they think I can cast. Oh, they little so, do they know what the they have signed up for. Yeah, you know, I am. I'm honestly uh, a little bit afraid. One because, well, there's the whole technical new meta thing and yada yada yada. But the other is, is I can't drink and and or curse. So I I might just be silent the entire match. What they don't realize is the amount of editing I go through on a weekly basis to make you sound as good as you sound. So they're about to get you <laughs> raw. Right? Exactly. Exactly. It'll be... Um, the, most people don't realize the, the amount of sheer bass that you uh, put in there. Because actually it just sounds like <laughs> pitch, pigeon squawking when I'm talking. Pigeon farting that. through a keyhole is usually how I describe <laughs> it. Or or making balloon animals, maybe. I don't yes, know. Yes, so, exactly. Yeah. So if you want to listen to what it sounds like to make balloon animals for 16 hours, tune into TESPA, and it will be, it'll be glorious. Well, this weekend, I fly out in two days. Are you anchoring the desk? Who's anchoring the desk? Are you like the... Uh, so there were there were four of us chosen, two duos, uh, me and a guy named Bills, and then Dr. Jikaniki, who's the person I was going to originally cast with, but didn't think he was eligible. He didn't think he was eligible, so he ended up last minute grabbing... Uh, Will Scarlet, who's the other person, and they end up winning. So I was in, it was an interesting story because I remember I was talking to uh, Dr. J at PAX East because he was also in the, the Geico tournament. And I was like, have you heard anything about this so you think you can cast stuff? I was like, uh, I I applied. I know a bunch of people have applied, but, I mean, it's in like two weeks <laughs> or three weeks for the, at this point. And he was like, uh, no, I haven't heard anything about it. He's like, but I applied. He's like, I applied last minute. And uh, I was like, oh, man, there's no way I'm winning now. And then I got the email like two hours later saying, hey, you're a finalist. We're taking the four of you. And uh, so it was kind of cool. Um, so the people that uh, we'll be casting with, I, I think are it's nice because they're interchangeable. Like I can probably jump into yep. with uh, onto the desk with like Dr. J or uh, Will Scarlett. I'm not sure how Bills, uh, Della Bills will fare with those guys but uh, he's an awesome caster as well dude won two emmys like i don't even deserve to have him as a co-caster 
I don't even know. <laughs> he won two Emmys. I've been booted off iTunes twice. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that's that's my claim to fame, I guess. But, Just try uh, to remember yeah. us when you make it big. That, that's the important. Whatever. So someone today joked that I'm now Hearthstone famous i was like that it's like the worst line ever and i'm going to steal it because it just it's super nerdy but and in true esports fashion you get a whopping like week to figure it all out so uh yeah yeah like i don't even have deck list yet or anything like that and uh, because it's such a crazy meta i was like looking at uh, tempo storms like meta snapshot and um i mean the the last expansion there was a lot of viable decks because things were kind of inf- not really like crazy but there are a lot of variants uh to some some decks like you maybe change out a package uh but there are something like 26 viable decks right now in tiers one through four uh and that's not even touch like then those have the variants so there's probably like 50 different decks i should technically know uh it's just weird when you have things like classic cards becoming super viable again uh and I mean, raid leaders in a card or is in a deck or is viable. And yeah, these things are stuff that was considered non-playable for the last I can't, I don't know if it was ever in the meta and now it is. So it's interesting times. Are you sad that you're now Hearthstone famous, but you don't get to meet Ben Brode? I feel like there's might yeah, be a but, correlation between him leaving Blizzard and you becoming a Tespa caster. I think I might have actually been wearing my flannel at the time when I found out about his announcement. And I was like, I just I just knew. I channeled my inner Ben Brode. I'm almost dead certain I was wearing my flannel. I was putting it on when I got the, the, the thing kind of come across my phone. Pouring one out for I was for like, him. wow. Yeah, man. That sucks. I mean, that's so. That was one of the news pieces we I think we had on the list to talk about today was actually Ben Brode leaving. Leaving. It's almost like and, my job is to weave in the news stories into all of this. Yeah, weave into the news stories into my random asides. Uh, yeah, it, it's no, it's an art form. It's uh, <laughs> an art form. Whatever. It, it's one of those things where it, him leaving is. Um, I kind of saw it coming, and in the way, one of the reasons why I saw it coming is because he started introducing a lot more people. And I thought it was weird that they were starting to name drop developers a lot more, and Ben was taking a little bit more of a back seat um, in the reveal of the Witchwood. And so you started seeing like Peter Whalen out there more, uh, and a couple other like <laughs> they brought on the one guy who was doing the Monster Hunter event thing that drops in like two days. Um, and it, it was it's because they they need to find another face of Hearthstone, and this was the expansion for them to kind of tinker with it a little bit and see if they can find that because. They they had to have known Ben was leaving. In all fairness, uh, I don't think they've found their new Ben Brode yet. <laughs> no, I don't know if you can. I really don't know if you can. Um, the people that they've, they've thrown out there aren't really good substitutes for it. Um, I think some of them... It's, it's hard to say. I, so, I, ideally, I think that's the biggest thing that they've lost is the face of Hearthstone, which is Ben Brode. From a design standpoint, I don't think there's going to be a huge, huge change. I mean, obviously, with him leaving, that sucks. Uh, there will be a, a gap in that knowledge base and just the gap in the creativity. But they already have a lot of really solid people, and they already have a lot of things done already to the point where I believe the rest of... So the next expansion is done, after Witchwood. The one after that is in final, I believe, and I think the one after that is um, almost going into final, like within the next month. So you pretty much have the remainder of this year going on to the next expansion and next year uh there because they're always like three three expansions ahead so you, 
you're not going to feel the effects of it for quite a while or maybe even notice it that that, that doesn't mean that uh reddit will not blame every bad decision on brain leaving like immediately <laughs> yeah yeah i it, it does it, i mean it's fuel to the fire for anybody who gets ranty or upset about certain things um especially on reddit reddit, reddit could take anything and spin it into awfulness from time to time rumor is that bro has had nothing to do with hearthstone for a year and this is why witchwood is so horrible (laughs) yeah he's just been an ai in a flannel shirt the entire time. actually it's been you the whole time you have this magical (laughs) flannel that when you put it on you just turn into ben brood it could be it could be i was thinking about wearing flannel to the tespa event but they'll probably make me wear a tespa t-shirt oh are you gonna have Um, to wear like a tie and a suit because i don't know no no, no. hearthstone casters never wear ties man that's no it's usually like a uh so HCT people generally wear like one of the Hearthstone T-shirts and like a suit jacket um, or a, a tie. A Unless you're some Frodan, of them no, some more tie. Frodan is good. Um, you should be the new Frodan, just like sparkly flannel. I dude. So I was thinking about showing up in like a pair of like monoblock sunglasses. I have them. I should have brought them so you could see them on 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 the screen here. But it's like just like, you know a giant one single lens across the face. Looks like I'm Future Man kind of thing. You're like Doc um, from Back to the Future. I threatened I threatened TJ a little bit, and I was like, "I'm going to show up in a mono in a monobox sunglasses and Zubaz pants. Can I cast in that?" And they said, "We'll probably just plop you in a t-shirt." <laughs> like, All right, thanks, man. Like he just I like, love- nope, nope, not even gonna, <laughs> not even going to honor <laughs> your was- joke. Well, no, he did. He did. And then I said, oh, will there also, I haven't been contacted by a stylist. Will there be one or am I just pretty enough already? And that's why I haven't been talked to. And he goes, no, there'll be, the, there'll be there one or there will be one there for touch-ups. Uh, but you are pretty. <laughs> just the, the stupid jokes already. You're, just, you're so Hearthstone famous. You're like name dropping people and I'm so jelly. He's so grown up. He's so grown up. I'm gonna, man. I'm gonna sit awkwardly behind a desk. That's why I don't like the Tespa desk. Uh, it's like you're sitting in a chair that almost comes level to the actual desk. It's like, why don't you just stand? <laughs> and then you're wearing a t-shirt, and you're just kind of like, almost kind of like hunched over awkwardly because like there's. I don't know, they just, wanted to maintain that amateurish feel, is what they're going for. Like you just like hobble this together. <laughs> Right. Somebody just smacks me in the head with a boom mic or something. Yes, stupid. yes, yeah. exactly. There we go. All right. Yeah. So uh, now that one half yeah. of us is esports famous, we're going to try to still do a show that's not about Hearthstone. So yeah, whatever. <laughs> the best part is, is I can call, I can praise you for a good job and you will still get upset. So you'll just be like, stop talking what about it. I'm so embarrassed. That's praise true. me for doing a good job. You got, I, you clearly did something, right? <laughs> I... I, you can actually listen. They they posted the video, even though like I had it hidden on my YouTube uh, channel, which is not really a channel. It's a place where my, I, my, I oh, my now porns. you're promoting your YouTube channel. We've made it. No, like I don't have. One. I don't actually have one. Already. Don't I have one? So, anyways, but they put it up there um, on the the winners thing, and they didn't even ask. I was like, thanks. And then I had um, like and subscribe. I, Hit the bell (laughs) icon if you would like notifications for whenever seven posts. (laughs) Right. And then while you're at it, head on over to Twitch. By the Uh, way, we have this Patreon that just magically sprung up in the last 30 seconds. (laughs) I've got my, I've got, uh, I'm going to make sure it's to say Hearthstone Famous now. That's all they'll say. That's your T-shirt. Because it says Hearthstone. Yeah. I should. There you go. I wonder if I can get one of those done in like a day. I should just have a Um, picture of TJ wearing monoblock sunglasses. (laughs) <laughs> well, yeah, it could. If you're going to go happen, meme, but, you got to uh, go full meme. All right, all right. No more Hearthstone. Move it on. Yeah. So let's talk about some esports stuff. I want to start with a topic that 
No more Hearthstone. Let's talk about esports. <laughs> no, there's real esports that need talked about here, not glorified <laughs> poker. So, what we're going to talk about next? <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about Fortnite and PUBG. So, this is a topic that you and I banged on about for quite a while when PUBG was making a rise, and there was there was a lot of esports discussion around that. And that conversation has been partially reignited by the fact that PUBG has announced a two million dollar prize pool. So, this is a developer backed esports prize pool. And this comes at a time in which PUBG has lost, now, I don't want to say quite a bit of steam, because as soon as I say that, you're going to correct me with numbers that, that counteract that. But if you talk about public awareness in the mainstream about the game, it is hard to deny that Fortnite has dominated that conversation to the point where, like, I made a joke. Alex Magdaleno, who runs the BR Esports account, has basically just turned that, it should just be called BR Fortnite, because that is the only thing that they post <laughs> on that account. But it is indicative of a larger trend that has happened where PUBG, despite really growing up that genre and getting us out of the weird H1Z1 days, has kind of been largely surpassed, partly by accident, if you ask me, by Fortnite. And obviously, you know, you and I have talked about the Ninja and Drake situation. We know your feelings there. But in general, like, we going back to the esports narrative, like, which one of these games is really going to make, if any, splash in esports. Like, a $2 million prize pool is nothing to joke at, and this is their first, like, legitimate move to make it an esport and go beyond just being some sort of show mm. game. Yeah, I think between the two, uh, they, they definitely serve equally the, the same audience and different audiences, and uh, it's more of the, the hardcore, is more of your PUBG person, and... I think what has happened with Fortnite is it's pulled a lot of the people that are kind of from the the Minecraft uh, area of gaming, and and because of the building aspect and the cartooniness, it's maybe it's more accessible. It definitely runs better, um, and so it has a lot of those things going for it, which is why, from um, a, a hype standpoint and from a viewership standpoint, it's definitely ex- exceeded it. And I think you saw, especially on. Uh, the th- stuff that uh, Ninja did this past weekend, I believe, was a Fortnite uh, charity stream thing that he had done at the esports arena. Yes, in Vegas, yeah. I so he had so he had both a Chicago event, which was not live streamed but sold out, and then uh, the actual live Vegas event, which is like this kind of bounty oh. show match kind of situation. Gotcha. And uh, it, again, if you notice, like he had like a, a kid come up, and the kid was like, "I watch you every night or day after school," and I don't know a ton of. One parents who let, who let their kids, uh, you know, go and play PUBG or watch other streamers play PUBG. I, I mean, I guess it's the the realism is too there. Um, it's too and, real. and that, it, it yeah. Well, it's just it's too realistic and, and in that and too violent in that sense where. Uh, Fortnite kind of jokes at a lot of uh, a lot of the violence. Um, when I was in Ohio visiting family, like my. Uh, nephew who is like i don't know eight nine just like pops open the the console and starts playing fortnite and he's talking to me about fortnite like like they win minecraft you're right like it's become that replacement i think it's also been interesting i so i follow a lot of and i know you're not a subscriber to the idea that this whole drake thing like helped penetrate culture and all that but i think there is something there in the fact that if you look at, like, I follow these, this weird mixture of people on Instagram, for example, where I'm following people that are big in, like, the fashion industry, people that are in, like, sneaker and car culture, 
And to the point where, like, even, like, fitness models and weird shit like that. And, yeah, I'm a dude. I follow fitness models. I'm not going to lie. And <laughs> what you end up this with. Is, wait, where is this going? Can we go back to Eastport? Yeah, I'm getting I feel there. Like I'm getting there. There's a, there's a confession coming here. Yeah, it's really what's so going I'm, on. I'm in love with Jen Selter, and she likes Fortnite. So it's just like a matching. <laughs> but it, what is interesting is it has become, like, the cool thing to do. Now, I'm not saying that these people are legit gamers or getting to the fake gamer versus real gamer argument, but I think that it has... Sorry, Seven's doing weird things on the street. It's throwing me off. <laughs> it's like a random fly. He's like super excited about Jen Selter. Um, so he, it's just been interesting to see how... <laughs> you just dabbed. I need a minute. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You've seen it penetrate pop culture in a way that Minecraft has, both at a level for children, which has made it very more accessible for those people, like you say, that PUBG is probably viewed by parents as like too hardcore, right? It's more of like a Call of Duty type game versus Fortnite that does have more of that Minecraft slant to it. But it has also penetrated into areas that may be gamers, but don't necessarily like wear gaming on their sleeve. And because Fortnite is the cool thing, because Fortnite is driving traffic, you are seeing influencers that normally would not make gaming part of like their content strategy or constantly posting themselves playing Fortnite because it is just a cool thing to do right now. And I think that has had an impact on as well. I don't think it fundamentally changes gaming, but I do think it's why Fortnite has been able to just like leapfrog PUBG right now because PUBG, while a big deal at its quote unquote peak recently among gamers, Fortnite has been able to break out of just a gaming sphere and has become more of a pulp pop culture indicator and that is something that PUBG is just not going to be able to replicate. Now, you can get into an argument about which you think is a better game and which you think has a bigger future for esports, but when it comes to mindshare right now, PUBG can't even come close and never has come as close as Fortnite currently is. Well, I mean, PUBG definitely had a lot of hype for a while. I mean, that's why it grew. That's why it was crazy uh, for so long. And Fortnite... I think uh, has drawn a lot of comparisons. And I think if PUBG had its shit together earlier on, maybe Fortnite would not have done or made such a dent. And that's largely because I think a lot of PUBG players switched to Fortnite just to try it out, play it, do it, whatever. And it ended up running better and they had more fun. And it's, um, it also has an aesthetic uh, that is a little more, um, I don't know, marketable, I guess you could say, right. than PUBG. And so hyper-realistic stuff isn't really uh, something that a lot of uh, companies won't really want to touch, like Red Bull. Red Bull won't sponsor a PUBG, but they might a Fortnite because it's not realistic violence. Yep. And, and, it so can, that's and why you can you have never... fun with the marketing things, right? Like we've seen like the John Wick skins yeah. and the Tomato Head skins, and like it's just you could have a lot right. more fun with it. Right. And then when you start going that route in PUBG, you've now – kind of dove into h1z1 area and people just hate how it kind of it, it ends up breaking that realism thing i mean a lot of people were really annoyed with the the twitch shirts and even having a twitch symbol on a boot like yep. it was End of the ironically world. most people never wore wore the shoes but anyways like people were really kind of were really annoyed with that initially and it's kind of not a big deal but uh, and i think that's limited it the, the realism of it has limited it a lot um, especially from like a skins marketing piece, and uh, you can't get like I said, you can't go like, oh, I'm I'm John Wick running around there. You can't really relate to your character as well as you can in Fortnite, and that's more than likely hurt them financially, I would say. But so let's talk about then. So it's clear that Fortnite as a game has leapfrogged 
PUBG. But when it comes to esports, there's not as many discussions about what the impact potentially is in the esports ecosystem, right? Because in the end, neither game at this stage has really established itself as any sort of esport. We have seen some show tournaments take place in the past, especially around PUBG. Fortnite, there hasn't been as much official stuff going on. We now see this $2 million investment in PUBG, specifically towards esports. And does anything you just talked about do you think have any impact on either of these games' viability as an esport? Because there's the genre concern that you and I have shared many times on this show, just about how well the genre in general can work as an esport. Right, but also, right. does like the popularity and the potential for skins and things of that nature potentially make Fortnite even a better option for esports as well compared to PUBG? I think uh, what we're seeing is two companies going different routes. Uh, I think. With Bluehole, they initially set up, and we, when we had talked to Brendan, we was they had in their mind esports from the get go, and I'm not going to say that Fortnite didn't have it, but they uh, they've been very guarded about it to the point where a lot of people think like, oh, it's not going to happen, or they're not ready for it. I guarantee you, Epic has people on it. You didn't just take a bunch of people from a MOBA and then go and not and then add them onto the Fortnite team. And they're all just doing artwork. It's not the case. Like there's definitely the development chops behind it. Epic's dropping a ton of money to build things out. And you're seeing some tests. You're seeing like the what I think it was like fifty on fifty, twenty on yep. twenty. Yep. The, these like limited kind of, time game modes have been a huge yeah. part of Fortnite's success because they are iterating publicly in a much faster right. public way than we have seen out of Blue Hole. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you're, you're seeing that, and you're, they're gathering the data on it. And I think what's going to happen is they're going to stumble upon the mode. Or um, a series of rules that will allow it to be a little more functional. It's also a more mobile. Your character's more mobile in that game than you are in PUBG. I mean, PUBG, yeah, you can get vehicles and drive around, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But it just, I, I don't know. I, I feel like there's, go, I think Epic is going to hold off long enough that they'll just come out doing it right while PUBG is going to struggle in the public eye with it. And it's going to be, it, it's, I mean, already we we talked about it. It's, it's very difficult to cast, yep. and and I don't see, I don't know again if throwing two million dollars into a tournament is going to make it more popular if people can't understand what's going on. And I think that's why you're seeing Epic hold back until they can figure that out. Yeah, this, there's this trend. This is not too dissimilar from the trend we've seen in mobile esports, right? Where we throw the developers throw a bunch of money out there, and people tend to look at that, see the organizations come into it, and falsely correlate that with some sort of esports success. But the reality is, is wherever the money is from a tournament standpoint, the teams and organizations will go. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's a successful esport from a viewership and a longevity standpoint. And that's what we could potentially see here. Because, yeah, $2 million is awesome. I'm glad they're supporting esports. But that doesn't necessarily mean this is going to be interesting to watch. I don't know that anything fundamentally has changed with the game's presentation that solves any of the problems with what we saw the last time they did the the show Invitational, in which there was just a lot right. going on, casting it is hard, following it is hard. Mm-hmm. And given the just crazy nature of the amount of players and organizations that will play, I don't know that a team consistently wins enough to make it viable for them from a money standpoint or to even get excited about it as a fan, right? Like when you talk about the format that you end up playing, is even if they're playing squads, right? Like you have 
these four-person teams and these squads playing each other, and what are the chances like Cloud9 gets into PUBG and they win on a consistent basis over the course of the season to make it exciting for you, right? Because it's just so hard for an individual organization, so you end up with these strange scoring systems like we saw at the Invitational that yeah. make it really hard to figure out what the hell is going on. Right, and that's what I was going to point out. Like, even so, they, you could think that they're going to win it all the way up until the last match, and they go from first to ninth, and you have no idea how, even though they're in the final four. It's like, what just happened? Like, and, I need a flow chart to understand my chances of whether or not my team is going to win after this map. Yeah, I think even some of the casters have a hard time relaying to the audience uh, how a team could win or lose this lose. Uh, the tournament in general. And so, I mean, it, it has its it, its problems. I think they're doing some things. Uh, they've been iterating. They've been adding in modes. They've added new maps that are smaller, much more fast-paced. Uh, and I think maybe the faster-paced stuff will work. Um, they they have done the smaller map piece, and I think that's also uh, needed. They've all done more damage in the blue, uh, so that you, you've got to move faster towards the actual action. Right, you can't and tank so, it as much as you used to be able to. Right, right. And, well, I mean, you can't do the TSM strategy, which is like, we're just going to go hang over here and loot, 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 let everybody kill themselves and then show up at the last minute when the blue actually care, like actually is damaging you. Yep, yep. And then we'll try and kill everybody. But so there's, they're definitely doing some things now from a viewership standpoint or what tools they've done on the back end. I don't know. Um, and I think that's what's going to be really important because you can make the action faster, but if you still can't relay it on screen, and and your commentators uh, are just basically saying, "Yep, so and so killed so and so, so and so killed so and so," and we're still staring at some guy in a bush. <laughs> that doesn't help you, right? Or we got that horrible uh, overview map where you're just watching little dots fly across the screen that are supposed to represent. Right, right, right. Yeah. Just like, yeah, it looks like something from like in television or Atari days it's of PUBG just shooting Atari. pixels at each other. Space invaders. Uh, yeah, so I, there there are changes, um, but again, I don't know from a, a broadcast standpoint what has changed to make it better because that's where they really need to focus on. Yep, and yes. I I'm going to say now that I feel like what Fortnite is doing specifically with Ninja is the right mode for promoting that game and adding some sort of broadcastable competitive element to it that fits quite a bit better than what we've seen from the previous PUBG Invitationals. And we'll see what changes come out mm -hmm. in this particular one. Mm -hmm. And look, not everybody... like Though I would argue like somebody like Dr. Disrespect probably carries enough weight with him, similar to what you see from Ninja, to be able to pull off a similar type event for PUBG, for example. And I don't want to get it twisted with Ninja's popularity versus Fortnite's popularity, but I do think the game showed a bit better when it can be propped up by a personality like Ninja and make it a little right. bit more of a one-off type thing as opposed to like sitting there and watching like 100 people go at it. Well, you're getting more of a host as aspect to it. And, so, and that will allow you at least uh, a point of view, right? Much like a caster. And so I think that's, um, that's an, an important addition to it in terms of broadcastability and acceptance, but especially in a show match standpoint, it's not really a show match. If you have no idea who the personalities are playing, yes, it, it's then just a bunch of, it's just a pug, right? It's just a bunch of randoms playing. It's stuff like a Geico no tournament at PAX. It is pretty much just a bunch of sorry ass losers trying to play a children's card game. And, and one Hearthstone famous guy. Kidding. And one Hearthstone famous guy uh, who became famous after he lost. <laughs> but uh, did you did you have um, to submit your Hearthstone record to be qualified for that? Because no, thankfully not. Thankfully not. Like my Geico record, uh, I draw horribly, uh, and then I get the worst possible matchup in the end. But and I I think one of the things I, I was going to kind of pose it to you is uh, we we saw, and I hate to bring it 
back to this, but we saw the H1Z1 version of a live tournament that was not live, but pre-recorded. Yes. Tried to make it look like it was live, yeah, but it like wasn't. An, an editorialization of it. Right. Do, I, do you think that's a, a much better format for a PUBG? And do you think it would be more successful that way from a broadcast standpoint than a than H1Z1? Now, not done like H1Z1 did, which was super awful, but Less that editorialized version. Yeah. It, I, I don't know if that even qualifies it at that point in time as really an eSport, but I guess you could. I don't know. It doesn't know. work live. It doesn't work live. Yeah, I don't know. When it doesn't work live, it's not an eSport. And it feels like I'm trying to think of a good analog Okay, well, I'm gonna. I'm gonna, minute, I'm gonna bring there, up there's some. There's something right there. If it's not live, does it count as an esport? If it's not, if it's not playable live, it doesn't feel like an esport to me. Like if you can't put butts in the seats and be okay. entertained as you watch it, that is a tough thing for me to call an esport. That's like having to tape a basketball game behind the scenes and edit it together to make it digestible. Now, and I'm not talking about it from a labeling standpoint. Like, I don't mm-hmm. want to talk about it like, is it competitive or not? I think when you talk about what m- the mainstream considers an esport, and, and to be a viable esport, I feel like it has to be something that you can put butts in the seats and watch and be entertaining without the editing, or to be even watchable without the editing. It can't be something that's considered a viable esport. When I was a kid, there used to be that weekend show that the NBA put on is like inside the stuff or something stupid like that, where they would like do that style of presentation for children to catch up on what was going on in the NBA. And that it would be like, that's the only way to consume the NBA is like through this like 10 minute editorialized version of a game. So I, mm-hmm. I get it to a certain degree. I would much mm-hmm. rather, and I say this with a giant caveat of I'm not sold on this concept either, I would much rather see if we can do editorialized content. If you look at what E-League is doing with the Street Fighter Invitational and absent of the weird reality TV element that I feel like is unnecessary, that getting behind the, you know, building up the personalities that way to then make what you're watching at least more entertaining and, and have you more bought into the people involved in it is a better approach. All of that being said... I don't know that you can make any of these games watchable live. And if you want to do it mm-hmm. as a marketing tool and you don't necessarily want to ne- go the route you, that Fortnite has with Ninja, then maybe that is your only option. But I wouldn't call it an eSport. I would really hesitate to call that an eSport. It, it's just, I don't know. It's weird. It's a weird way to watch it. Well, that's why I've been referring it to as competitive gaming. <laughs> <laughs> Down with that label. <laughs> There it comes back. Yeah, so we'll see. I don't know. And and I haven't watched any. I, I forgot that the H1Z1 Pro League actually debuted on Facebook this week as right. well, which I've not had right. a chance to catch yet to see how that has changed. But I think you're right in that Fortnite or PUBG is eventually, through this experimentation, going to stumble upon the format that actually works better for esports. Mm-hmm. Um, some would argue that Overwatch has done this to a certain degree. There's a lot of people that have gotten more excited about some of the competitive seasons in Overwatch around, like, Capture the Flag or most recently 6v6 Elimination that they view as a more pure competitive landscape. And I feel like because Fortnite and PUBG hasn't necessarily landed on the game mode that works best for competitive, they could have a similar outcome but have the ability to pivot to that more exciting, more interesting format. Yeah. yeah I, I think it would be... 
I would like to see Overwatch do something like that. Like during maybe during the off week or something random, like is play at one of their different modes, like a capture the flag version, just like a show match or something. Yep. And just experiment and see how it goes. That's the one thing that I, I know they're experimenting in a lot of ways, but I don't think they're experimenting with the type of, of game that they're showing. And I think they, they could discover it, which is why, again, Fortnite, PUBG, they're trying it. They know that, I assume they know that they're not yet, there yet when it comes to just being God, broad, so. broadcast and understanding. Uh, so, I, yeah, it'd be something cool if Blizzard would do something like that. I don't know. Maybe. We'll see. Maybe. I doubt it. I really doubt it. They've no. just got plans to straight up Overwatch. <laughs> no, no. I was going to say BlizzCon would be another good place to do that, but they've got the World Cup kind of filling it's that slot. That's exactly why I was like, yeah, they could do it. And then I was like, wait, BlizzCon, BlizzCon would be perfect. And then there was uh, no, no, the World Cup there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So we'll see how that goes. I want to touch a little bit on the EU LCS. So we had talked about that on a previous episode when it was initially announced. And the Esports Observer came out with a few more numbers that I think adds a little bit more color to the discussion that you and I were having. So just to refresh people's memory, we have EU LCS franchising coming out. It looks very, very similar to what we see in NA with very similar entry fees. So 8 million euros for existing clubs, 10.5 million euros for new organizations joining. And that's when you look at the numbers, so Waypoint provided these numbers to Esports Observer, NALCS over the spring split had 27.4 million total hours watched, with EU LCS having 19.9. And the EU LCS had only 58.5% of total hours that NALCS had watched on first party channels. Why all of this is important is you are asking organizations to invest a similar amount of money into a league that the potential revenues are significantly less when you look at the money mm-hmm. outside of the bam deal which one of these days will result in some sort of broadcast but until that happens when you talk about sponsorships and the likelihood that eu lcs teams are going to make similar money to na lcs teams it seems very unlikely given the viewership numbers because that tends to be what drives the value of the sponsorships that will end up feeding back into the teams and it just is continues to be this head scratcher that i think you and i have had since the days of them you know proposing that 24 team premier league expansion that was making us go right how can they support 24 teams when they can barely support the ones they have this is another one that kind of goes thrown into that pile of head scratching information yeah and on top of that they don't have uh, like a challenger league or anything like that they're still planning on doing the regional based uh, leagues and supporting them, which is what they've done in the past. Yep. And so I don't know if this this extrapolates out to that in some way, shape, or form as to the, the, the total amount of viewing time League of Legends as a whole could get. Uh, but there's outside of the fact that viewing hours are far less, there was another point in here which I really, really thought, um, well, I, I guess it really didn't hit me before, is that when in NALCS, you can have one major stream, and that's your English stream, and that covers. Pretty much everybody, right? I think it was like about 17 and a half million uh, watch it on the mainstream versus 3.3 and all the different various alt languages and such. And so when you look at that and then you look in comparison, uh, you have 9.9 watching on the mainstream and then 5.8 watching in alt languages. It's a fracturing of the streams that I think also causes some problems, not necessarily for the teams in in terms of like viewing and viability but in terms of 
getting uh, sponsors, right? Right. So I, I think that this gives you an example of you know State Farm. The name State Farm and the symbol is recognizable within North America as a whole. Right. But you throw that into a, a French stream, and that doesn't make sense. And, yeah, if like Tesco and, so, in the UK wanted to sponsor, people right. in France and Germany would have no idea what they're talking about. And there would be no reason right. for them to want to target those particular audiences. Right. And so it's it's becomes a little more regional-based and fractured, and so therefore you can't pull as large numbers for that, right? So if you want to do something in NALCS, which is going to cover all of North America, and oh, cool, it's a $10 million deal. But if you just if you just want to do the UK, you're probably going to put a, a, a fraction of that, right? Because you don't care about the other places. Yeah, but it complicates so, sales too, right? Like you have to have these mechanisms to yeah. potentially sell for all these other languages that you would not have to deal with in, say, Korea or the U.S., Right. Now, arguably, there, it could open up to more deals, right? It could open up to more brands. Uh, but at the same point in time, it, it's you've got the overhead of having to run multiple streams, uh, and you're, you're getting less visibility on some of those streams. There's quality issues. There are there. I don't. It, well, honestly, the biggest issue is that they they kind of farm out a lot of the broadcast rights and the broadcast to other other groups. So that 5.8 million isn't necessarily watching a riot stream. Right, and that's exactly. Those are, those are considered third-party streams at a point. It's also harder to lie in those big deals because getting a state farm deal for 10 million viewers is easy. But getting the state farm equivalent in France, for example, that might only have like a million or less views on a particular stream is harder. And so you can't get the level of deals even for these language streams. So it's not like right. you can sit here and say, we can land, oh, this is great. We can land the, the State Farm Insurance of the UK, of France, and Germany, and we'll make all the money. In the end, like those players aren't going to come in at the amount of hours being watched on these smaller you know, third-party language streams that are not owned by Riot and don't have the individual viewership of the main English language channels. And yeah, and then there's also the quality control because Riot's not handling it, so they're maybe not plugging it as much. They may not have, again, someone streaming in German may not have the exact studio setup as the main Riot one, right? Yep. So they're not getting the giant logo behind them that might be something as as simple as it's being printed Hold on fabric behind them or something. <laughs> Hold right? up a piece yeah. of paper. Go stay far. <laughs> right, just the random like Geico gecko just standing in the background creepily, like like a mascot. It, yeah, exactly. And so I think. Those are problems that are inherent to, uh, again, EU, uh, and and that the NA doesn't necessarily have to deal with. And so from a marketability standpoint, uh, I, the NA has it. And so those teams bought in are more than likely going to make more money because of this. Where in EU, they're paying the same amount to get in, essentially, and they're making less from it. Unless it's subsidized in some way, shape, or form. I feel like after a year of this and people maybe threatening to bail or them being upset because it's not apples to apples, maybe Riot will step in. But at the same point in time, honestly, do they? Do, do they need to? Because if you if you treat EU LCS as its own entity, you're buying into that entity. You're not necessarily buying into NA. You don't have an option to buy into NA. Right. So in why fact, should when you EU teams to tried to, they couldn't. <laughs> right. They got uh, they got kicked out. 
All that being said, you got to go through the EU door. Here's what I think is going to happen. I think you and I underestimated what was going to happen. This is, I think, a lot of people did with NALCS franchising. The amount of money that came in from like sports franchises, for example. We've talked about this before, but if football franchises in Europe get involved, they can weather the storm far better than, say, a Unicorns of Love organization on their own, right? So what you could, if Riot can, and I'm not saying this will actually be what happens, but if Riot can sell them on the dream of growth in the EU LCS and get that three- to five-year commitment from them, similar to the dream that I imagine that Overwatch League had to sell a lot of those organizations because they didn't have the proof. And if, and to be fair, EU LCS has some proven viability. We're, not, we're still talking about the tens of millions of watched hours here. We're not talking you know, small potatoes. They could sell these organizations that have the money to weather the lower viewership now with a plan to increase that viewership over time. And if you get these localized football clubs, so for example, if Paris Saint-Germain gets involved, maybe they can increase the overall viewership of French language streams. So there is some possibilities there, and I would not be surprised if we see a disproportionate amount of that happening in the EU, even more so than we saw in NA, because I think the EU teams are overall less viable organizations than what we saw originally sitting in NA. And some of those even viable organizations in NA still got kicked to the curb in favor of some of these new players that had a lot more money from traditional sports. There's no reason for me not to think that something's going to happen like that in EU to a greater degree, given the amount of money and clout and the far more strategic use of those regional clubs in Europe because there's far more built-in regionality potentially within Europe than there is going to be in NA with these clubs. I think there's a lot of value there. If they came down and 50% of these clubs end up being partially owned or straight owned by these football organizations, I would not be surprised. Yeah, and I think you're onto something there because really if if anybody knows how to cook the books, it's a football club. <laughs> and yeah, uh, 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 they've had to do, they've had to work around FIFA for how long, and now they got to work around right. So, if they can handle FIFA, <laughs> yeah, right. Good old Sepp Blatter. <laughs> Anyways, um, so I think I think you're right. I think a lot of those clubs like PSG. Uh, I think there's even been like Schalke has been another one that's been really into esports a lot yeah, too. Yeah, they've been involved they, in a lot the of EU LCS. Yeah, yeah, and so I think you have. Uh, a lot of these clubs that will buy into it because ultimately ten and a half million is nothing for most folk. Like, like they've got right? footballers like, who haven't seen the pitch in two years that are making that on a yearly right, right. basis. I think Neymar got penalized that just because he talked about leaving. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it just it just happens, right? They'll find a way to make it somewhere. Someone will get penalized or booted so that they can have a team because the cost of that team. Is far less than it is owning a football club, and it's a different demographic. It's more uh, notoriety allows them to grow in regions in which they, you know, haven't before. Yep. Uh, and, and so, and so that's a huge piece of a uh, football club. That's what they've been doing it for a long time. That's why you see, you know, Manchester United and Real Madrid playing in the United States is because. They want the U.S. audience. And so in this case, it's the same way. They want an audience in other countries. And how much easier is it to do it than a game like League of Legends? And so I I think it makes sense uh, for those. I think that's where we're going to see it. I think the tradition – and I don't think they they care that they're not making as much as NA teams. No, and that's an interesting point, actually. So if you look at what the clubs have done in football – 
they want to grow in like emerging markets. You see, not just in the U.S., but you see clubs like Manchester United, for example, touring in India, touring in China, touring throughout Southeast Asia. Right. Playing largely in front of like half full stadiums a lot of the times because they're getting money from corporations to come and play. But they're doing it not for the money, but because they're trying to grow their audience in these emerging markets. Now, you can say, yes, well, EU LCS is not an emerging market. Why, if I'm in Germany, would I you know, give a crap about Manchester United? I don't think it's actually about the EU fans. Being involved in gaming gives you more right. widespread notoriety. And if I'm in South Korea or I'm in you know, somewhere in Southeast, I'm in Thailand and I tune in for Worlds and Manchester United is competing in Worlds, that brand recognition is there again. And that, for those teams, is actually pretty valuable marketing for them. And going and touching their audience in a place where they normally don't get to in the gaming sphere outside of the FIFA gaming series, that's a pretty good sell for me for what is, like you pointed out, a very minuscule amount of money for these clubs. If you look at the payroll and the amount of expenditure these clubs go through in a traditional transfer window, which only usually involves a small handful of players... They shit out $10 million. I'm pretty sure Alex Ferguson used to wipe his ass with $10 million at the end of every Premier League game. So I think the money flowing through these organizations is big enough that this may be a viable option. And maybe this is what Riot knows all along. And they're like, Psh, we'll easily get this from these football organizations. And if we don't carry over any existing orgs or these existing orgs all get snapped up by football organizations, all the better for us. Right. And then you have one one football team realizes that if we just don't buy anything in this transfer window, we can buy all of EU LCS teams. <laughs> because, and, and because on average, I mean, there's a lot of them that spend 80, 130, 200 million dollars in a summer to yep. acquire people. Yep. 10 million isn't much. Now, there are like the, obviously the smaller, the smaller clubs, which, yeah, 10 million is a lot of money. Um, but again, some of these things we've seen, it's not the 10 million straight up front. I think it's a buy-in over so many years. Yep. So, so that even, even makes it more appealing. Yep. Right. And what the other thing, and this is recent to the NBA, but this is far more the norm in European football. These companies are sorry. These organizations potentially bring sponsorship with them. Chevy, right. for example, pays tens to hundreds of millions of dollars over the course of a contract to have their logo plastered across Manchester United's jersey. And this is very commonplace throughout all of European football. This is something that is obviously we have sponsorships in the U.S., but it is very different in how it operates in the EU. And they tend to bring much larger names with them. This is not Jack in the Box being on the Dallas Fuel. This is Chevy, AIG. B win like these giant organizations that sponsor these football clubs for a lot of money and bringing those contacts and those potential sponsors into the esports ecosystem is something else that Riot could potentially do with this move. Right, and then you'll have, then you'll have one team with Football Manager 2019 on it. Yes, and, <laughs> but it's it's true. Is they just bundle that in there and charge more for the next year round of sponsorships or get a whole new sponsor for it? Yep. Uh, it, it, I mean, they're to the point where they uh, separate their sponsorship for training kits versus the game kits, for Christ's sake. So they are right. masters at getting things sponsored. Masters. And that is something that Riot could benefit from. Yeah, and I think that's why Riot... I think Riot sees the future of EU LCS not at all with the current group of of teams. 
it is all new buy-ins. I think they saw it with like Overwatch and the amount of non-endemic people who kind of non-endemic teams, non-endemic sponsorship and, and the money that they got. And they're like, we want a piece of that. And they know the EU market is ripe for that. Yep. And, and Overwatch does too. I guarantee you that's why they're expanding. I guarantee you probably 75% of the expansions of, of Overwatch will be solely in EU. Well, and they also don't have to worry about the existing orgs anymore. Once you've had that initial, like, culling of the initial orgs, like we saw with NALCS and what we've seen with Overwatch League at this point, like, those people already stepped out of the game. So now if you want to expand, it's far easier for you to sell the fan base on bringing in an outside sports organization. And what has been nice, especially in NALCS, is, like, with the exception of the Golden State Warriors organization, like, you look at what 100 Thieves has done and you look at what Clutch Gaming has done, they're actually competitive, legit teams. This is not just like, hey, they came in and they failed miserably. So they're viable organizations that have figured out how to bring in the right people and do this. And I think it's a model that can continue to work. So and we'll see. One, one, more, one more thing before we jump to the next topic. But have you – I have not heard of any NALCS teams going, uh, we're not making enough money. No, no, not since this franchise. Now, we'll see. We'll wait, we'll wait till we get through to the end of the year. But as of now, mm. nobody's complaining. And there was some vocal yeah. complaining happening before franchising. Um, but we've not heard that since, so we'll see. <laughs> it might just be if you complain, you're out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like too much money on the line. Being replaced. Anyway, oh, so we'll see. I'm, I'm after this. I will admit, after this conversation, I'm more bullish on it than I was when we started this conversation. So good. See, but we told you it's worth talking about. But we've also <laughs> extrapolated out a bunch of conjecture that may all completely be untrue, and they're just going to have like ten versions of unicorns of love in the ELCS next season. So who knows? We're giving yeah. Riot a lot of credit here. We'll see. And if not, they should hire us. Well, me, because you already have a job because you're Hearthstone famous. I'm Hearthstone famous. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Moving on, let's talk a little bit more. Keeping on the money topic, there has been a decent amount of announcements over the past couple of weeks about money coming into esports and the surrounding ecosystem that I think is worth touching on very quickly. We're not going to spend a ton of time on this, but two of the things that jumped out to me is so far in Q1 of 2018 – Disclosed VC investment into esports companies has gotten to nearly two billion dollars. Now, this is partially Insane. skewed because of a six hundred and eighty plus million dollar investment into Huya, which is a new streaming platform. But there's still a tremendous amount of money still flowing in the esports, which means the bubble, if you believe one that exists, has not burst yet. Well, if you also look at some of the games like PUBG, Fortnite, they think they combined. Uh, did like $200 million in revenue just in loot boxes in January alone, yeah. right? So you the money uh, is, is there, and it's flowing in like crazy. And because these are, you know, these are companies that are probably supported by maybe 300 employees making, at, at this point in time, in this point in the year, already made over half a billion dollars in a game that's already done <laughs> and yep. they're just making it on you know, loot boxes and such. And so it's, yeah, it, they, they, it doesn't, it does not surprise me. I know it's a bit skewed, uh, but it's, again, it's, that's a quarter. I mean, when I first read it, I was like, Oh, 2 billion last year. Okay. That's really good. And then I saw it was just Q1 of 2018. I'm like, Holy shit. That's a lot of money. Yep. It's a lot of money. And to expand on that, 32%. So MTG, who is the parent company of ESL, reported 32% increase in their sales rise from, and just in Q1 2018 for esports-related revenues. 
And they're to the point now where they're going to spin off MTGX, which is the group with inside that organization that's responsible specifically right. for esports. And we've got numbers of $50 billion business by 2022 for gambling and loot boxes, which are two key drivers for potential and current esports revenue. If we look oh, at... Insane. I am blown away, and maybe we will see more of this, but the loot box concept and what you've seen teased with some of the stuff that has been happening in Overwatch League and obviously stuff that Riot has done for years with League of Legends trying to tie specific like skin packs and ward skins and things of that nature to mm-hmm. esports, the more they can do to drive one to the other, the better off they'll be. If these numbers lay to bear... You're stupid for not trying to attach more things to this, whether this is things like they've done with the all-access pass where you're getting in-game loot for spending that money, or you're tying watching your esports events to the ability to buy items like they've done with the League tokens at Overwatch League. $50 billion is nothing to laugh at, and if we can get... (laughs) And this will be interesting because... While betting is a very contentious topic here in the U.S., betting is part of everyday life in sports in the EU. And if they can figure out the regulatory problems around esports gambling, there's a lot of money to be made there, too. And I know nobody wants to talk about it because that means 15-year-old kids with their parents' credit cards. But betting, sports betting makes a shit ton of money in the EU to the point where now you're seeing a lot of conversation, especially in the NBA and the NHL about finding ways to regulate it so that the leagues themselves can attach themselves to gambling revenue in some way. Now they do it to say, so we can make sure it's legit. But the reality is, is they're looking at these hundreds of billions of dollars being made and they got to get them a piece. Yeah, it's, um, it, it, it's, Crazy to think that $50 billion is coming from that industry, again, projected in 2022. So that's only, what, four years out? I can't do math. I'm Hearthstone famous. I have somebody to do it for me. So, <laughs> But you touched on something, though, with, with MTG, uh, spinning off to MTGX, and then I think the other piece is Nordic TV. Of that 32% rise in profit profits, MTG, which is essentially owns like 75%, I guess, of ESL, Noted a two hundred, what was like two hundred seventy four percent increase in revenue. It's like that is why they're splintering off because uh, the original vision for MTG is actually not the money maker anymore, yep. and they just want it to go and sit. Now, granted, they made like a twenty three percent increase, but it was legit a two hundred seventy four. Like they know that esports uh, is where it's at, and they want to go hard against it. And if it crumbles and dies then it's not going to take down the the original business aspect of it um but yeah they're buying in hard on a lot of stuff with M- uh, mtgx and so that doesn't surprise me that uh, they would splinter and i think they announced that splintering off a while back bef- well before this right. i think it was an it was announced a while back but yep. this just gave fuel to the fires that yeah this is Duh. why they're doing it <laughs> like there's just so much money here it, it, it's so interesting and not that like you're un, you know surprised to hear us bang on the esports is doing well drum, but I think sometimes it is easy to get lost in the echo chamber of esports and feel like it's the only you know it's going and everything's super great and it's successful and and sometimes it's not the case. But these numbers, especially when you talk about legit revenues, like ignoring the VC investment for a moment, when you're talking about legit revenues being raised, right. that is where it matters. And yeah. 
I still think there is going to be a reckoning at some point where the value of viewers is going to take a pretty large hit because in the end, mm-hmm. they can't continue to maintain the money that they're making based on the viewers that they have if you compare it to, say, traditional media, for example, like television and radio. But all that being said, they are still things are still on the rise. We're still finding new outlets. Um, Esports is encompasses so many games and so many genres and so many varying levels of competition. Whether you're looking at something like Fortnite, all the way down to like the official like legit sport leagues, like you have with Overwatch League and NALCS, it, it's a massive business, and it is one that is still growing. It is one that there is still a lot of inexperienced people trying to figure out. Like that's the crazy part. If you look at the success that it's it has had up West. to this point, it's been large. Like. Esports veterans are hard to come by, right? Like, so there's not a lot of people with a lot of education and business sense around these things that have this stuff fully figured out yet. Yet it is still being incredibly successful. So when these people really start to figure out the formula, and more people with experience in the business side of things start coming into the equation, whether it's these traditional sports leagues, whether it's VC investors that have experience growing large businesses, the sky's the limit. Like the bubble will burst at some point. I'm sure many people thought about this, uh, like, you know, extreme sports in the 90s. There's been various things that have have kind of seemed like they were going to be this never-ending juggernaut and have died off. I think the difference here is you already have a billion-dollar industry that this is riding upon, which is the video game industry. That is not a new thing to come to markets. It has been making a shit ton of money for a very long time. So it has a good base to ride off of, and esports is just something that augments that further. And I think that is something we have not seen in the past and is why this will have more legs to it than we maybe have traditionally seen with other trends. And, and I think the another thing we haven't necessarily talked to 100% about, which is that we, we've in the past talked about that throwing a tournament like ESL1 Cologne, the, like, the amount of production value and money that goes into it, the price pool, we've always questioned around whether or not that makes any money in the end, right? And so it is still, I, I don't know, I, I'd have to dig into some numbers. I'm not sure if ESL's uh, money and their growth uh, and their profitability comes from throwing their own tournaments or if it's from the production side where they, they run a majority of the esports tournaments from a production standpoint right. that you see everything is the money uh, being the lost heart- elsewhere the the, the, the tespa tournament that i'm in uh, that i'm casting this weekend is run by esl it's in their studio right remember we went to burbank in the esl studio yep, so yep. they did uh, all the other deals a lot of times when you hear this deal with twitch it's almost, a lot of times it's been esl stepping in and handling it i think twitch has grown their production since then but originally it was esl but very early on, it was purely ESL. Right. And so I don't know how much of that money or that profitability is coming from that side of the business or the actual tournament throwing. We we joked uh, well with, with Richard Lewis about how uh, you know, when a bunch of these sites, these esports sites were closing down, and he's just like, yeah, it further conf- confirms that all the money is in throwing the tournaments, not talking about them. And so, yes, obviously, we, we can definitely relate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to make the too meta for you, but it's true. This is why Seven has to cast Hearthstone because we can't keep the lights on. Otherwise. Right, right. I, I lost a kidney last year just so we could keep the lights on. But uh, and it, again, this shows that there's profitability in that. Now, two hundred seventy-four percent could have been over a whatever last year. It could have been a break-even. Could have been a loss. Who knows? I don't know the exact numbers on it, but. 
uh, it, it, that's still a lot of growth irregardless. And the question is, is the money being lost somewhere though? Because that would be my counterpoint to that is, so ESL is making money. They're doing the production, but is the ultimate person hosting the tournament. So if I am blizzard and I contract ESL, ESL makes a bunch of money from the production, but is the overall production itself profitable? Like right. that's the part that is still largely hidden by this because if they're spending a ton of money to have ESL produce it, and ESL's like, great, we are a production company, we're making a shit ton of money, but Blizzard or Twitch or whoever happens to be running it ends up losing money in that deal, then there's still something to be questioned about throwing the tournaments. And right. I I have not seen enough concrete numbers for me to say that you can go spin up a tournament, handle things end-to-end yourself, and be profitable. That That's the question that I think is still out there. Um, I'm not saying that it's not, but I have not seen any numbers that truly tell that story. Right. I mean, I've seen some things from a sponsorship level equate to uh, $500,000 to $650,000 for a weekend event for like the, the Amazon stuff that they were doing, the, the weird Fire Mobile stuff, uh, show matches they were doing. They were still making uh, yeah, upwards of $500,000 in sponsorships uh, just for a weekend event. And now it takes a lot of money to put on. <laughs> one uh esports event so i can't guarantee that 500,000 covers that i would i would i would pretty much say that it maybe doesn't <laughs> large no especially when you consider like prize pools and various other things that go into it right. your prize pool obviously one of your biggest costs right. is depending on the money you're throwing out yeah, there yeah and, and to throw a 14,000 person uh convention over 3 days and that doesn't include the vast amount of hardware uh that it takes to do a stage uh, the streaming costs and whatever it that's still in the neighborhood of almost two hundred thousand dollars. So at the bare minimum, it's probably two hundred thousand dollars to to do something, and that's with like bare bones volunteers. You're not paying a ton of staff. It's got to be yeah. a lot of money. Yeah. So, but good on ESL. Like they found a niche. Like they they've clearly found some. Well, I wouldn't even call it a niche. They clearly found a business model that works really well for them that shields them from some of that because they're not taking on as much of the risk, but they're taking on you know, one of the major parts of it being put on. So kudos to them real quick before we wrap things up. I do want to talk a little bit. We, we haven't talked about collegiate and high school esports in quite a while since I think the last time we went on a rant about the NCAA, but things continue <laughs> to happen in that space in absence of the NCAA, including a new Ivy league esports conference. Now this is not officially endorsed by the schools themselves, but the esports clubs within the eight Ivy league schools, that's Brown, Columbia, Cornell, Dartmouth, Harvard, Penn, Princeton, and Yale have come together to create their own esports conference. Now, why this is interesting to me is not that this is happening, because this is not the first time we've seen some sort of like pseudo tournament space happen within collegiate esports, but these things are going to continue to mount up until the NCAA will have to get involved in some way, either to say we're going to be hands off or to unfortunately crash in and make this whole thing go to hell. And so I try, I I get excited with a lot of caution when I read news like this, because at some point the NCAA is not going (laughs) to be able to ignore this. And given that they're a bunch of money hungry bastards, I worry that they're not going to stay hands off and it's going to ruin all this opportunity for a sport that has a much younger retirement age than a traditional sports even has and potentially suck the ability for any of these kids to make money from esports period when their career may be over by the time they get out of college. Yeah, that's actually a really solid point. 
when when I was throwing these in the show notes, my immediate response was Brian's going to go on an NCAA rant. <laughs> like, so you're like, before the show, you're like, <laughs> I'm predictable. I'm going to find a hat. My head's cold. I'm like, yep. Wait till we get to the NCAA part. He'll just turn red. He'll heat up. The hat's off. already off uh, just in time for the segment. But there's uh, an underlying thing here with this uh, Ivy League schools conference is that they're doing it uh, again, absent uh, with, with the absence of their school backing, largely because uh, I believe it was mentioned that they didn't really want it, and they wanted to get it established before. Uh, they didn't come out and say, but I think they, their thought was before the NCAA, before the schools get into it, and before they take away yep. from it. And we want to create something that is grassroots and 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 whole, and not something that is being overly ruled by a body who wants to kind of pull from it in, the, in a lot of ways, financially more than likely. Yep, it's it's interesting. I, I I'm not going to rehash all my previous NCAA right. arguments, but I do think that college esports, especially, is in a tenuous place. I am far more bullish on high schools getting involved, on esports centers being developed for these kids to get into it early on. Things like Star League, for example, that do a lot of work to get like young children involved in competitive gaming. Those are the things I'm far more bullish on. I think collegiate esports has a expiry date on it, and that expiry date is pretty soon because somebody with money aspirations is going to come in. And you can say, oh, that's great. If there's an official NCAA tournament similar to Heroes of the Dorm, that'll be awesome. Like, no, it won't because those are the prime year. A, that will never be the highest quality esports you will see. Because the highest quality esports players at that age are already playing professionally. So right. it's already sub-tier play, in my opinion. And that's no offense to people that are in college esports. It's just reality. The top-level Overwatch play will happen in the Overwatch League. It will happen in Apex. It will not happen in the NCAA Overwatch tournament. And it will kill anybody with any real aspirations for esports to get an education at that level and play. What we could end up seeing is a bunch of over-the-hill, quote-unquote, 25- to 28-year-old esports, ex-professional esports players that go back to school <laughs> to get their degree after they've retired, then getting to participate in NCAA This esports. sounds like a plot line that stars like Scott Bakula coming back and doing it. <laughs> Adam Sandler. And- <laughs> but... You mentioned, uh, to again, jump a little bit away from the NCAA stuff, but the, the high school piece of it, uh, one of the articles that came out this week was the, the Play VS at partnering with the National Federation of State High School Association. It's like NFHS, whatever. But either way, it's, it's a venture-backed startup that's looking to uh, jump in and create esports programs within high schools and the the importance of this them them joining up with the the nfhs is that uh yeah again that group of people that's that's 14 and a half million high school students right there and again you're talking about if it's the collegiate piece coming to a bubble if it's already getting established to a a level that this could establish uh, in within high schools and it's essentially cro- uh, you know cornered a uh, cornered market by the NFHS uh, and this play vs group then you know that it's going to get stepped on the collegiate level if it's that organized within high schools 
Yep. And, and and so there's a counterpoint that I make to myself that I struggle with, which is, and right now I view this quite honestly largely as a marketing gimmick by smaller universities, but there's this concept of these esports scholarships. I think the most recent I saw bandied about was one for Fortnite, which is just silly at this stage, to be honest. Like, it's a good way for like a lesser known university or a sub, you know, single or double a triple a school from getting like noticed right like they can be like oh come to the university of southern berkeley technology school where you can get a full ride for being really good at minecraft but there is something to be said for it has been very common for a long time for traditional sports to be a good path for people to get to college in a way where they either wouldn't qualify normally through educational means or financial means to be able to Get a college education while playing sports. And for the majority of college athletes that will not go on to be professional athletes, it gives them a leg up where they normally would not have one. Now, in order for that to exist at a wide scale across colleges, in order for esports to present a similar path, the problem that you have is, is that esports needs to be a moneymaker because the only reason this happens for traditional sports is because schools make a metric fuck ton of money from collegiate sports. If you look at Ohio State, where I went to school, and you and I both grew up in that area, that is a institution worth hundreds of millions, if not billions right. of dollars. So them giving out right. some scholarships to some kids to play some football, no big deal. So for eSports to be able to offer that path forward, eSports needs to be a moneymaker for the NCAA and for colleges. And that's where it's like this weird double-edged sword of if we want that available, that's the only way that it's going to happen. And for that to happen is to crush eSports. So it is it is a weird scenario that we were in now you could make the argument and i and i hate and this is gonna i'm gonna get burned a little bit for this but you would argue that potentially people that are really good at esports maybe need that less than some of the people that tend to be professional athletes that do not focus on their schooling as much but if you've ever watched a kid play 20 hours a day of Fortnite, then you could question how much time they have to study as well so i i think there is certainly something to that I would like to see those scholarship operations. The question is, and I don't have an answer for myself, is which one of the like, would you be willing to sell your soul to the NCAA devil to potentially give more kids that are not traditional athletes but are esports athletes the opportunity to pay and go to college? Well, I think a large portion of people who take those scholarships uh, are, are taking them with the idea that I'm going to get to play in front of an audience with a chance of, they're kind of paying it forward, right? With a chance of going professional and making more money. A lot of them do. Not everybody. A lot of them are like, oh, cool. I get an education out of it. Blah, 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 But Or some of them are forced into, the, forced into that mindset because they're not actually as good as it is. Right, right. But there's also those who think I'm going to get eligible for the like the NFL draft. I'm going to draft it. I'm going to make millions of dollars, at least the base salary, which is hundreds of thousands of dollars. Uh, but however, when it comes to esports, by the time you hit college, by the time you get out of college and you get done with your esports stuff, you're probably in in some aspects behind the eight ball in terms of again like you said from a professional league standpoint majority of those people are 18 to 21 and if you're just getting out of college at 22 you're depending on the game the esport you, you could be behind and so it's yeah. you're not really paying it forward you're taking it instead of and and that's why it'll right. always be B tier. Yeah. Now that's not necessarily a bad thing. Maybe, like, maybe in the end, it is a good path for B tier esports to for those people to make money and go to college, where they wouldn't necessarily be able to become the fakers of the world. And and that's that's fine. 
But I also think that makes it a less viable business model for the NCAA. Like right. how how much does college pride, and I'll argue that Heroes of the Dorm is a perfect example of this, how far does college pride really go when it comes to trying to get large broadcast deals with large viewerships? Like people are not tuning in for the Challenger League in droves, for example, in the LCS, right? People are not tuning into Overwatch contenders in droves. That's the level of play that we should expect at the collegiate level. And I just don't know that the money's there for the NCAA to then pay that back in scholarships to make it worth it. It's, there's a lot of circular things going on here, a little bit of a chicken and the egg problem. But I think in general, the point stands that the level of play for people that would give up their best esports years to play in college versus play in the professional leagues will always be subpar. Right. But what people should tune in in droves for is the collegiate playoffs that I'm hosting this weekend for, for, for Tespa and Hearthstone. Just saying. There you go. God. <laughs> you can see my face right now. <laughs> you did like a full 360. <laughs> uh, I think I detached a retina with that eye roll. Well, that's going to do it for the Seven Hearthstone Promotion Hour. If you'd like to congratulate Seven on his new Hearthstone famousness, you can do so on our social <laughs> channels at Twitter, Nerf This Crew, and on Facebook and Instagram at Nerf This GG. If you'd like to listen to Seven talk more about Hearthstone, you can do that every Tuesday on iTunes, Overcast, Pocketcast, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, and on our site, which is surprisingly devoid of Hearthstone content, though I'm sure Seven will solve that this week, at NerfThis.GG. And if you just want to tell Seven how excited you are for him to Casp on Tespa, or you want to send him pictures of his monoblock sunglasses that he should wear, you can do that at our email at show at nerfthis.gg. And maybe, here we go, I have a theme for this week's <laughs> iTunes review. If you would like to tell us how pumped you are to hear seven cast Tespa this week, you can do so by leaving a one to five star review. One to five, five stars being how excited five. you are. No, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. We're just going to tank the show. <laughs> going to tank the show, man. Don't. <laughs> Anyways. <sighs> yes. Anyways, you can do that on iTunes. We appreciate those five-star reviews. They help people discover the show. Um, though we won't need that much longer once Seven is Hearthstone famous because he's going to drive all the listeners. I'm just going to roll in the money. I'm just kidding. Roll in <laughs> the money. Seven is a col- you are the equivalent. You are like what is so if collegiate esports is subpar. What does collegiate esports casting make? The B tier. <laughs> the B tier. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this B-tier show. We will see everybody next week for a B-plus tier show because we will be post-TESPA on the next episode of Nerf This.